You're listening to episode 25 of the Becoming Aligned podcast. Welcome to Becoming Aligned, where we'll step away from the busyness of our days to explore what it looks and feels like to create meaningful lives that align with our personal values. My guests have found their own unique way to navigate through the distractions, the pressures, and the expectations of everyday life. And in the process, they've discovered the freedom to be truly themselves, to tune into their own heart, and to honor their own unique voice. I'll explore what motivates them, what challenges them, and what strategies help them work towards their goal in a way that nourishes their mind and body. I believe everyone has a story to share, and that we become a stronger community when we're able to listen and learn from those around us. I'm your host, Maureen Ryan, the founder of Ryan Wellness, I'm a Chicago-based self-discovery mentor and Pilates instructor. I hope these conversations will serve as inspiration and as a reminder that it's not about perfection, but the process of becoming aligned. In this episode, I talked to Jason Brammer. Jason is a visual artist, painter, and muralist based in Chicago. For those of you who live in Chicago, you have probably seen his work. He has many street murals throughout the city and installations inside businesses like Dark Matter Coffee Shop. His artwork has a way of drawing you in, and to me it feels like he has a true sense of who he is as an artist. So it was so interesting to learn more about his personal journey and get a better sense of what shapes him and inspires him as an artist and as a person. It was fun to learn that he's also a musician. I didn't realize that when we went into this conversation. And we talk about his time playing bass and touring with the band Old Pike, and he is still creating music, which he'll tell us a little bit more about towards the end of our, of our interview. And he shares how meditation and yoga help create a new sense of awareness in his life. And I got to learn how that impacts his life and his art, which I think is fascinating, and I hope you do as well. I really appreciate Jason's honesty, and I loved hearing him talk about the, the work of an artist. It's something that applies to all of us, but I think it's so important to be reminded of. He also shares a ton of great books um, that have influenced him throughout his life. So please check out my show notes for more details on that. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with Jason Brammer. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Becoming Aligned podcast. I'm really happy to have you here today, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Happy to be here, Maureen. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, yeah. I have heard so much about you over the years from my dad. So I, <laughs> <laughs> he's, Vice versa. Yeah, he's, he's had so many nice things to say about you. And I believe you've had, at some point in time, your art studio in his building. And the two of you, you know, got to be friends and get to know each other over the years. And so through him, I've had a chance to, um, you know, learn a little bit about your art because you're an artist. And one thing that strikes me when I when I see your art is that you just seem to have this really, you seem to have a strong sense of who you are as an artist. And um, I don't know, that comes across to me. And so I am just, I'm curious to, to learn more about that and to learn what's shaped you as a person and shaped your art um, and just discover a little bit more about you. So thanks for, thanks for joining me today. And I'm looking forward to diving into that if you're, if you're game for it. Sure. Yeah, cool. All right, Jason, before we get started, could you just kind of tell everyone a little bit about yourself? My name is Jason Brammer. Um, I was born in Ohio, and I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. I moved to Chicago in 2001. Okay. And I 
Uh, I'm married. I live in Logan Square. Ah. And I have a, an, a storefront studio, um, art studio in Humboldt Park on ah. California and Cortez. Okay. And it's the facade is muraled and you can see paintings. and um, Yeah, so I've been here since 2001. I, I grew up playing music. Okay. And I was in a band in high school and then the band kept going and some basically some of the members from our high school band we ended up getting a record deal in 1998 or so wow uh, on sony records huh. so i was touring a lot and i was a full-time musician out of high school and, well there's a there's a little i'm giving you like a ultra condensed story <laughs> yeah okay there was uh there were some other chapters. Um, I out of high school. I graduated high school in 1993. Okay. And out of high school, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. Okay. And I left the band, and then I ended up moving back to Bloomington, Indiana, oh. IU. Yep. And that's and I, we all lived together, and then that that group of friends and that band got signed. Oh, in, cool. I think like 98 or so. So then I I was in art school, but then I dropped out. I was like, you know, I'd rather travel and go to New York than paint pairs (laughs) in the studio. So I got really into traveling and playing rock shows and having dreams of rock stardom and all the things that you want in your your early 20s. Yeah. Okay. So I went to, I went to IU as well. Were you, were you guys playing um, in Bloomington at the time then? What was the name of your band? It's called Old Pike. Old Pike. In, uh, Old Pike. Um, we were there. I was there from probably ninety-five to about two thousand. Okay. So. Yeah, we just probably just missed each other then. Oh, cool. When, when were you there? Um, I graduated like uh, in ninety-five. So. Yep. Uh, you, you warmed it up. Yeah, and you know I stuck around a little longer though too. So I was actually probably there in '97 as well. <laughs> I had a hard time leaving Bloomington while I was there. <laughs> no, it's a place. It's just like what you have to leave, and then, and then the summer comes and everybody moves out. Oh, uh, the the last time. place we had lived, we lived on a, a horse ranch on 80 acres north of Lake Griffey. Oh wow! So we had this old, um, kind of a mid-century modern tri-level. Oh, that sounds um, awesome. Stone home. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Now, what instrument did you play in the band? Or did you sing? Or I, I played electric bass guitar. Okay. And as a kid, my brother's like, dude, if you want gigs, you should play bass because nobody plays bass. Ah. Everybody, I was, you know, he, he played guitar and I wanted to be a shredder. You know, Eddie Van Halen, yeah. guitar player. And uh, I started getting into bass and it got gigs. And I started, you know, I was playing in different groups and stuff growing up. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's like, it, that's kind of a, being a musician and, be, you know, playing bass, that is, that's kind of what your big start was with doing that. And you got to travel the world or travel the country anyway with the bands that you were in. How long were you doing that for? Um, I was playing from, I mean, all through high school. Okay. With some brief stints and in uh college but mainly uh, several years i would say um i need a a chart (laughs) i I mean we were touring i don't know like four or five years of just trying to tour and play as much as possible we would do this east coast tour we'd go play new york and then go down the east coast 
and go down Georgia to Carolinas, then loop back up, hit Nashville. Wow. And we would do that circuit. Uh, we toured at this band, Ben Folds Five, for oh, a while. Wow. Do you remember those yeah, guys? Yeah, I've, heard, I've um, heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. They took us out. We went. To, we played the Fillmore in San Francisco. Wow. Played the L.A. in Los Angeles, a bunch of shows. Holy cow. Okay. It's our, our big, our big uh, epic show was opening up for John Mellencamp yeah. in Indiana on 1999, New Year's Eve at Conseco Fieldhouse. Oh my gosh. So we played with 18,000 people were out there. It was like our big, our first big stadium show. Wow. Yeah. That's, that sounds like, I mean, that had to be exciting, but you're young and like, what was, what was that experience like for you? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was, uh, it was very intense because you just see yourself, you're just on this train, you know, you're on this path. Yeah. And the projection of the mind was that we were going to be superstars and, yeah. you know, all the, all of that. So it was really, it was super exciting and being, get, having people pay attention to you when you're in your early twenties, mm-hmm. having lab, labels be interested and like whining and dining us in New York and like fancy dinners and all that and yeah. like in LA it was just very, very heavy I guess it's the yeah phrase, but wow okay it was like, fun man yeah I, I would highly recommend it <laughs> <laughs> if, you're in, if you're in your early 20s and you're like <laughs> hanging out in a van with your best friends like driving around the country and partying all the time yeah awesome. what kind of music were you guys playing what was like your style it was a like Americana um we worked with Jim Scott, who did a lot of Wilco stuff. Okay. And he'd work with Tom Petty. Oh, wow. So we were kind of in that realm of, they're sort of, the label was, was looking at us as kind of like a Springsteen-ish type thing, but uh, early on, it was a little heavier. Got it. It was a little, little grunt, like heavier, like we did a lot of basement shows, and we can't, we used to play all ages shows in high school with hardcore bands and stuff, so. Okay. A little louder and then as we got older um we had an organ so we had like a leslie organ one of those spinning cabinets those old leslie's and then a couple guitars and drums and multiple vocals okay but, uh, yeah i'm just yeah, trying so that's, to... that's, that's the start okay yeah i'm just trying to picture this right now it's like you guys are traveling the country you had been in school for art but like sitting in that setting like um painting like you said painting pairs and stuff like that didn't really appeal to you when you could get on the road and like just experience life so you guys are out there and playing shows getting some really big gigs and did did how did how did things unfold it like you guys is it still something that's a part of your life or did that band just kind of break up or um... the band the band broke up we didn't really have a huge hit single Got it. And so, what, what are you like? <laughs> what was the name? Old Pike? Who was it? Like, that, that's why we broke up. Okay. Uh, we were trying to get on the radio and stuff, and we were on a major label, so that was the point was to sell records yep. and be a large scale touring machine. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, yeah, they, essentially, the, the label didn't have a single to, to spend on the radio, and so. It was an amicable, you know, breakup. Um, overall, it was just like, well, they 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 they're like, you guys can make another record, but we're def- we're not 
sure we would push it. I mean, it's just kind of major label stuff. And yeah, yeah. So everybody moved to LA, and they all those guys did their own things, and I moved to Chicago. Okay, so that's when you that's when you ended up in Chicago. Did you did you mm-hmm. come here thinking that you would um continue with music, or were you planning to go back into um, more the visual arts? The art stuff I was always doing when okay. I wasn't touring, I would do murals and I would, my mom's an artist. And okay. So I would help her. We would make um, handmade mosaic uh, or handmade tiles for backsplashes and fireplaces. Oh, uh, cool. So we'd do a lot of custom tile work. And then I would do kids' rooms, do murals for model homes and all that. So when I wasn't touring, I was still doing that, like painting gigs. Uh, straight painting, plastering, decorative finishes, all that type of thing. That's so cool. So basically, I moved when I moved here. I did have aspirations of finding a band, mm. but it was also to get the the decorative painting gig off the ground. Oh. And, so, <laughs> and I I went one of my first places that I went to was 843 North Maplewood. <laughs> Uh, you a place you know I, well. I know that place very well. Yes, <laughs> and that's where I met your dad, Jim, yep. and he was redoing the floors in there. <laughs> yeah, and it was. And before I moved to Chicago, I said, uh, "Man, I was like, I really want to live in the Ukrainian village." Okay, like it totally, totally appealed to me. Empty Bottle was right there. Yeah, we used to play the Empty Bottle a lot, right, and right. just like the whole the vibe of the community was, I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we looked at that place and. And we left there, and Aaron said, "Like, there's no way you're gonna find a better place than this." Yeah. And this is this place is so awesome. Like, and I was like, "Well, let's look at a couple places." <laughs> and so I was kind of looking around, and I I was I was thinking, you know, I've I've lived in in rough neighborhoods or whatever, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. there's a loft in the deep west side. Right. That I gotta go check out. Yep. I went and checked it out, and it was. Not not my vibe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, this is kind of a different type of, you know, I didn't feel overly welcome. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, I, I ended up um, finding that, that space. I came back to 843 <laughs> and I was there for years. And then um, there was a storage unit, a garden unit space yep. in the basement. I know that space. And yep. so you, your dad let me rent that out as a as an art studio. That's so cool. And oh. then I was there up until about five years ago. And then I've got, now I have a, a 3000 square foot storefront, uh, wow. California and Cortez. And I share the space. With That's Jeff awesome. Zimmerman, local mural artist as well. That's awesome. And, uh, I figured the time to move out of the basement was when I could, <laughs> I could touch that ceiling with my hands. <laughs> and I was, I was working on a, a, a painting and it like it was too tall I had to lean it yeah oh my goodness <laughs> I think I might have outgrown the studio space but yeah I, I miss that place so much do in you really winter, oh <laughs> do and you, really? you go down there and you you flip a little switch and it's I mean it's instantly like 75 or 80 degrees oh, within a matter of minutes yeah okay <laughs> and then in, in the summer you go down there and it's, it's like cool. it's, it's a cave. It's yes. so cold and cold down there. And that's just true. the temperature, the climate was amazing. Yeah. Oh. But, yeah, that's so cool. So now you now you got your own like you got a storefront. That has to be amazing though, to like be able to have people walk by and be able to see like you even have murals on the outside of the building, it sounds like. That's that uh-huh. sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I do we pick we 
kick drums out on the corner on the weekend sometimes and have a bunch of shakers and congas. I play a lot of bongos and African percussion. And so we'll take stuff out on the corner and people are walking by. We, we do like little impromptu drum circles with kids and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, okay. Funky, funky weekends. <laughs> now, I totally want to dive into your into your art in, in a sense, but then I also want to like – as I'm listening to you talking, like, you know, having this experience with music and with, you know, painting and like, I'm just so curious as how you got started. Like, I'd love to like take it back to when you're like a, a little kid. And um, is, is that something you were just drawn to when you were younger? Like, did you just love getting using your hands to like, you know, to create things and to like, how did that all start for you? For drawing, you mm-hmm. mean? Yeah, for, like for both, art, actually. Art for, yeah, for both of those activities. Like, what? Like, how did you get into both of them when you were younger? Was it just family members also did that, or? Yes, I, my mom's an artist, and okay. so there were a lot of materials around, and I was always drawing. Okay. And I would draw on place mats. I would draw rock bands. I'd draw the band The Sticks. Awesome. And so it was sort of, that was a precursor or premonition to my life. <laughs> yeah. I was like these people playing guitar, like these stick figures playing guitar with long hair and spotlights on them. Yeah. So I was super into rock, rock stars and stuff. Ah. And I, just, I grew up grew up drawing and a lot of encouragement. I got into figure drawing in high school, and I was taking studying classical anatomy, okay. and that's what I was. And when I went to Indiana University, I was studying traditional anatomy and drawing and rendering and okay. more of a um, kind of a, a real disciplined approach to art making. Yeah. And like when you see your artwork now, it's almost got this um, like 3D effect. Like it's, I feel like, you know, you could see your, your art and it's, I don't know, it, it feels like it, there's a there's a theme across it. Like I can feel like that's his, that, I can see that being his piece, you know, and I see your, your the different mm. pieces you've done. Um, there, you just seem to have a sense of uh, a style that you've kind of t- taken. Would you agree with that? Does that, does that resonate at all? Sure. Yeah. yeah I feel like there's, I have different voices artistically. Um, I, I, in my mind, there are a couple of distinct styles, mm-hmm. and there's one extreme that's very serene and very ethereal. Mm-hmm. The oceanscapes, very open, expansive, and then there's another extreme that's more creatures and you know, yeah. um, futuristic, surrealistic, pop surrealism, photo surrealism dark, scary, mm-hmm. psychedelic, you know, there's just, there's kind of that, that realm. And then they kind of, then they, they also inform each other and sometimes blend. And uh, so like some, some pieces are extremely like, more like rock and roll artwork, mm-hmm. I guess you'd call it. And then there's the other stuff that's more tranquil or subdued. Yeah. Yeah, like what? Um, what do you think influenced your style, or how you've how you've developed as a, a visual artist? Um, I, the main thing is just, I mean, obviously, it was just like making the art yeah. and trying to figure out, like, just keep pushing the ideas that you're coming up with. Yeah. Uh, the the artist Chuck Close said, "Ask yourself questions that nobody else knows the answer to that only you can answer." Mm. So it's like, what does a photograph of the future look like that's found in the 1890s? 
So the, mm-hmm. this whole thread was, this whole um, series was based on this idea of a time traveler from the 1890s, oh. goes into the future, takes pictures on an old old camera, and then comes back to the 1890s, and then I'm finding the pictures. Ah. So they're these, they're, they're relics, but they're futuristic. So it's, it's, there's different times, you know, you have the future involved. The future is this flooded seascape with creatures hovering above and this apocalyptic surrealist vision. And then the past, the elements of the past are the, the treatment of the surface. So you have that, the faded edges, the a daguerreotype finish where the, old photographs are softer around the edges and they're kind of out of focus. There's like, there's water on the lens of the camera and that type of thing. Yeah. So that was like just getting into those. I mean, you could, you could paint that forever. It's like, there's no ending point of what does the future look like as seen through a time traveler. Yeah. 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 (laughs) How do you stop that? how How can you quit? Yeah, like so. Do you, when you're that's when you're called, that that series is called remembering the future. Remembering the future, okay. And I know I've seen yeah. um, pictures of that, and it's yeah. There's so many like I don't know. There seems like so much depth and detail and everything that goes along in, into that. Remembering the future. Um, did you like? Do you uh, do you just start drawing and see where it takes you, and then like pay, put it up as a painting? Like, what's your process look like for that? Um, it depends on what I'm doing. A lot of the stuff is, is mixed media found objects. So I'm okay. taking incorporated uh, antiques and those are the time machine series. Yeah. So I will, those usually have some type of a window and the idea is that the window is a, a portal into another realm into a future or past and and that so it'll start out with the window and then I'll treat that as rust and that all that stuff is really influenced by the L tracks ah. underneath the uh, specifically underneath the lake yeah. if you're on if you're underneath the L on lake mm-hmm. that and like the Wicker Park blue line uh, that that color palette and the rust mm. has been I've been really into that color palette and like what what does rust do like how does it look what makes it feel like rust, what colors are in there, mm. how can I achieve those colors. And so that a lot of that is started out, just I'll start out with the window, do the framing type thing, and then add objects to it and, and let it evolve. And then sometimes there's a piece that'll be an idea, and just it's already kind of realized, and I just do it larger scale. Okay. And then some stuff is... Um, just you can kind of just see where it goes okay cool that that's sort of like the, the meandery noodly let's just see where it goes that's more of my studio wall so i have this ah. wall in my studio that's meandering and it's just kind of bonkers you know it's like i like looking at things that looks like a lunatic made you know <laughs> <laughs> so it has kind of this obsessive quality to it making layers and layers yeah so I have to ask were you like into science fiction then when you were younger like I feel like there's a sci-fi element when you're like you know to some of this is that something that you were impacted by when you were younger Mm, I was really really into the Twilight Zone okay 
super into the Twilight Zone, very into Stephen King in high school. Um, yeah, sci-fi, um, I guess more of an adult. Yeah. Know, not, not, like, the thing with the, the whole, like, floating octopuses and stuff, it's like, that's a Lovecraft, like, and I didn't know who H.P. Lovecraft was, and then I read this, the narrative about him, and, ah. you know, it's like, the, the Call of Cthulhu is this story about this floating entity that's a, it's an octopus entity that's coming through our reality and then artists are painting pictures or like making sculptures of it and then all the artists go crazy oh. from this thing. So, interesting. Yeah, Wait. it's totally interesting. <laughs> Wait, say that again. So there's this like this floating octopus and then the artists see it and they start drawing they start you know, drawing it and then all the artists go make crazy. Sculptures of it. Yeah, making sculptures. The artist, of- the, the artist Cthulhu is this ancient Cthulhu. deity that lives underwater. Okay. And he's reaching out to the artists and they go mad as they make these images. They're like graven images. You know, it's real scary. It's like, it's really scary. Yeah. And um, they tie it into voodoo and stuff. It's it's totally, it's it's a scary story. Yeah. And um, so then it's this creature that comes up out of the ocean and it's floating above the water. And so I was doing these creatures that were these floating octopuses above the ocean and somebody yeah. was just like, oh, that's cool that you're referencing Cthulhu. Oh. Like, what's a, what's a Cthulhu? Oh, I have that's, no idea. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. So then you went back and you had to, like, learn more about this, I'm sure, just to... Then I read it. Yeah. Yeah. Very... yeah. Oh, my goodness. Interesting. Yeah. Do you ever, like, <laughs> do you, like, find, like, where do you find your inspiration for, for your art then? Is there is is there things that you read or, like... Or music, like a lot of it's, uh, yeah, the art stuff right now. I mean, um, I would attribute a lot of it to my meditation practice, hmm. um, to Buddhism, to senses of expansiveness. There, there's a series called the Axis Mundi, so it's the hub, the center of the the world's axis, and that's a thing I I got from Joseph Campbell. Okay, yeah. And he has this book, The Power of Myth, that was really influential on me. Yeah, it's sitting on my sitting on my table right now. I'm, I'm meaning to read uh, it, but I have not read it. Yeah, it's right. It's right I to the left of me. I would recommend listening to the interview. Okay. Bill Moyers interviews yes. him, and you kind of get a different. It's different than reading it. Okay. It's like the inflection and in Campbell's voice and stuff is, mm. is real key. So they recorded it at Lucas Sound, and it's on Audible. Okay, cool. And yeah. Maybe it's on YouTube. I, I think I saw it on Netflix too, actually. So, yeah, I, I think I put that on my watch list. So I'm going to have to check that out. So, you... that's, I mean, that's like, as, I mean, in some aspects, it's as good as it gets. Like, ah. Just Campbell explaining the hero's journey and all that. Is, I mean, it's just, it, it, it says so much about our belief systems and our understandings of the hero's journey and how these narr- how these all these stories are really important to humanity. Mm-hmm. So the Axis Mundi is the still point, and so I was looking at that as a place of the mind. And so through seat, like formal seated meditation, just watching the breath, the pasana, uh, you still your mind, you mm-hmm. come back to the breathing, and then ar- around the, the the clarity or the serenity of the ocean. Are these swirling clouds that are rolling, and that's the mind. That's the, those are the thoughts. You know, mm. so we all have these swirling thought patterns that are 
mm-hmm. similar to clouds, and that swirls around. But, but there's a place behind that, and that's mm-hmm. awareness, and that's um, consciousness. Or I mean, it can, you can kind of whatever you want to call it. You know, it's like a different it, different religions call it different things. Mm-hmm. And Atman and Brahman, or um, in Hinduism, you know, it's like this a specific thing, and in Buddhism, it's it's just uh, the isness, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or what it is, mm-hmm. you know, just the eye behind the eye. So getting behind your, our typical thinking mind, or my, I guess I'll speak for myself. Yeah. My my typical brain patterns. I mean, it's it's been very important for me to see how that works. Basically, to see how the mind what it does and how it's been conditioned. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I've been able to f- access really seeing that is through seated meditation. Oh, wow. And then couple that with yoga and exercise or whatever, but without sitting there observing the mind, I'm a victim of the thought patterns. You know, mm-hmm. they pull you in, they just drag you in uh, mm-hmm. different emotions and you're, <laughs> you're like hanging on to this, to your, the thoughts of your mind and your mind, your body's response to your mind. Mm-hmm. So your, your thoughts create your emotions. Mm-hmm. Your emotions are a response to your thoughts. It's like, why am I all nervous? Well, you've been obsessing over some stupid thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it becomes very clear. Uh, yeah. We have to practice, I guess. So we you... still get, still get caught away, caught, caught up sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah, like you said, it's because it's a practice, right? So then knowing you can go back to that and, um, yeah, that's so interesting. So that for you has been like a gateway to you, your creativity, it sounds like in many ways. <laughs> Is, would that that's be fair funny. to say? I, would that... <laughs> yeah, it would be, it would be perfect to say, Maureen, because I have a series called Gateways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> There's, those are all pencil drawings. All this can be seen on my website. It's jasonbrammer.com. Yeah, I'll share that and for sure. The gateways are um, similar to the portals. You know, they're entrance points into another place. And so, yes, um, the question, that type of stuff has been like ideas and concepts are, I guess, more influential than artists to me. Oh, interesting. It yeah. sounds kind of pretentious in a certain way, but I think it's true. It's like the ideas behind some of these things are, are visual to me, opposed to like, oh, I want to paint like Hokusai or, or whoever, yeah. whatever artist, you know. I feel real inspired by the city and by other artists and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. No, that's interesting because I think like when we do, um, like when we're looking up to someone or we're trying to model, like often we do, we, we model what another person is doing, whatever our field is, let's say, you know, and and you can start to kind of, you, you almost follow them for a while and then sooner or later it seems like people start to figure out their own way, but it seems like you're mm-hmm. just like maybe inspired, but that you're allowing your own kind of truth and your own whatever it is inside of you to come on out, you know, and it seems like the meditation practice with the coupled with yoga and that that's your way to just kind of tap into, I don't know if you want to call it truth, but tap into something inside of you that you can then put into 
um, paper or maybe even music. I'm sure that probably inspires your music yes. as well. Um, yeah. And, and to your point, I have done paintings where I'm like, I'm going to try to do a Hokusai painting. Mm. You know, I'm going to try to paint a Klimt piece or mm-hmm. something that's like, I'm trying to, I'm, I want a piece that looks like Alphonse Mucha. So I, have, I do that and I try to do that. And if you look at um, art, other artists from the turn of the century or other times, mm-hmm. you look, it's like those guys are painting. I mean, you can't, they're almost indistinguishable. You look at mm-hmm. somebody. You look at uh, some student of Clint. Yeah. I mean, they were, I mean, they were, there was no shame in that. Right. And I, I think now, this is a soapbox or whatever, but I think now one of the problems mm-hmm. in the art world mm-hmm. is that I think that we artists feel so intensely individualized. Oh. And there's such a sense of like, I have to, do, this has to be my thing and I have to do this original thing that people are afraid. I mean, other, obviously there's the exception of people that just rip people off. Mm-hmm. But if people are practicing artists now, you wouldn't be caught dead doing something that looks similar to some something somebody else had done. Huh. And that would just be like an art crime. But if you look at, uh, you know, people from back, you know, hundred years ago. I mean, their stuff it looked just like the other people. Yeah. Then they would go on to do their own thing. You look at early, early Gustav Klimt. Mm-hmm. He was painting this stuff that was really, really um, detailed and not anything like we would associate with like the Kiss or his stuff mm-hmm. that's, that's famous now. That he's known for, but yeah. he had the ability. He he learned how to paint that stuff. And so my thing would be what I would tell younger artists is like, you know, like learn the rules of art mm. and then before you can go off and you, you still have like the vocabulary to just freak out and do your own thing. You have to do hundreds of paintings before you can even start to tap into what you really want to say. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Cause that's a lot of pressure just to feel like you have to like just totally be your into like yeah that's a lot of pressure to for a young person or a young artist to reinvent the wheel yeah what <laughs> that's I couldn't I couldn't paint very well in art school and I just I couldn't finish I'd never finished anything and huh. it was just too it was too uh, grandiose it's like what do I want to say to the oh. world it's like dude, you can't even paint a hand you can't even you don't even know how to paint a figure like what how, why do you have to convey some intense yeah biblical allegory right <laughs> like oh my goodness Caravaggio with like wings and full figures and yeah all this, you know totally over the top it's like why don't you just dial it back and learn how to draw first is that is that what you did is that like how you kind of got yourself through that well I joined a rock band and dropped <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true. how that's I got true. through it <laughs> okay yeah. that's fair yeah, because that's, I mean, that is, it's like so much, that's a lot of pressure. And, you know, people can get frozen, like when they feel too much pressure, and then they don't, like, we don't get to see their, their craft, you know, um, whatever yes, it is. It's and, resistance. Yeah, yeah. Resistance is a real force. Right, right. I'll talk about that in the book, my book recommendations. <laughs> yeah, oh, good, good. Um. Well, like, yeah, how do you, I mean, how do you work, th- I mean, how would you say you work through resistance for yourself? Like, because, I mean, I think of people talk about writer's block, but even as an artist, I mean, just it, is that what your wall is for in your studio where you just get to kind of do like the meandering art and just have some inspiration or like or is it getting back on the on the meditation pillows and, and allowing yourself 
to work through it that way? It's a combination. Um, I don't like resistance. This I would recommend this book by Stephen Pressfield called The War uh, of Art. Yes, yes. Also on my on my table. Are you yep. familiar? Yes, yes, yeah. I have okay. read it. It's a little. I I should say it's like a little bit cosmic, and I don't agree with his theology per se. Mm-hmm. But and it's like you know it's kind of new agey for some people, and but it's the premise of it, the basic fundamentals of it I think are very true and that is is that you defeat resistance by work mm-hmm. and so you and I just it just took me forever to, to learn this but in any kind of endeavor he I mean the joke he's like whether it's sculpting your abs or like a new health routine or mm-hmm. I mean it, it could be it applies to anything yep and you basically just have resistance towards something and the more you the more resistance you feel the more important that thing is to you mm-hmm. for your development. It could mm-hmm. be spiritually or physically or whatever. So you, we have this intense resistance towards certain things and it holds us back. And his point is like, just do it. Like you do, you have to just start doing it. Mm-hmm. So if I have resistance against a big, a big piece of art, just start, you have, you have to start and then yeah. want, and then the gods or the muses or whatever you want to call it, inspiration yep. takes note of that. You know, he, he has kind of like a Greek, like how the Greeks viewed inspiration and, and spirit, um, inspirado. And so it's like once this thing starts happening, the wheels start turning and then insights accrue mm-hmm. and all this stuff starts happening to you. Right. That seems magical or whatever, but, like these things that you, there's no possible way that you could get to these ideas without doing the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what young, or when I was young, I had no idea right. about that. And that's, that is key. And it's the same with music. Yeah. You sit there, you have to play scales for years or practice all, you have to really develop your abilities and it's boring. Yeah. That's the thing that people don't talk about is like that. <laughs> Making art is it can be super tedious and super boring. Yeah, I'm I'm on a project right now where I'm painting a cobblestone floor. Oh yeah, and I saw whole, that. every square inch of the whole shop it's the cobblestone. Yeah, it's a cool effect, but it's like <laughs> I'm on I've been on a floor, a concrete floor for a month. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I think you shared some of that on Instagram. I was like, wow, it's like so lifelike looking. But yeah, you you're <laughs> right. You don't think you don't think about that person and like the the work that goes into that. You don't think about all that. You just see the results sometimes. And, and the math. Yeah. The sheer the numbers like it has to add up. Ooh, yeah. Right? Actually, tell me about that because that's something I don't think about. You think art? You don't think necessarily no. math. So yeah, tell me a little bit about that. I don't, I'm the worst person to tell you anything about that, <laughs> but, uh, I know it's real. <laughs> I know it's real and I know the numbers don't lie. Um, I basically, I try to figure out, I mean, you, you, you kind of have to like make sure that it all lines up. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like measuring and remeasuring and the diameter of a circle and figuring out how many circles will fill up the room and building it out. Yeah. 
that, that stuff, it's, <laughs> it turns out it's pretty important. Right. I can only yeah. imagine. Yeah. And you know what you said, like the musicians playing the scales and stuff. Actually, I live um, in my condo building. I live uh, above a, a jazz musician. And it's like you hear him all mm. the time just going through scales, going through scales, like for hours and hours at a time. And it's these are the things like we went out and saw him at a show of like it's like oh wow that's amazing but you know it's so cool to actually get to kind of be a piece of both of those because I'm not doing the work but I get to get to appreciate all the detail and all the practice and it can be you know mm. there's there's so much dedication that's that's a part of producing these things I, I I don't think I think it's good for people to hear about it because um Get, you know that piece of doing the work, like you said, like with Stephen Pressfield, like just getting in the chair if you're if you're a writer and sitting there and writing every single day, and just the value of of doing that, and it's not just this big result that happens out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, it doesn't just no. appear. It's just these no. little things that are constantly happening, and that and that dedication to the to the craft that's so necessary. So that's cool to hear you talk no. about. <laughs> In, in, in line with what you're just saying, this teacher Eckhart Tolle talks about mm. there are no there are no great things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a trick of the ego. So the ego wants to tell you, make this great, magnificent things. Yeah. And he talks about reality is actually a lot of small things. Yeah. That add up. Yes. <laughs> so yes. You have to sharpen your pencil. Mm-hmm. You have to wash your hands. And I I kind of view or I try to view like mopping my floor as the same thing as like putting the highlights on a piece. Mm. They thought like it's kind of the same thing. Practicing, doing yoga and like exercising and stuff, it's kind of the same thing as making the art because without it, I, my body hurts and I can't do it. Yeah. And so it's all, it's all kind of one thing, I guess, ideally. Right. It's like a part of that whole package in order to actually, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And- but it seems like the appearance is that, Oh, I'm not actually putting uh, the paint on the canvas. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I just like, that's just your natural. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm putting stretcher bars together. I'm putting the hardware on it. This isn't making the art. Yeah. But it really, it really is going to the art store. I mean, it's all part of the process. Right. Going, going and doing your yoga and all, yeah, all of those things allow you to produce an end result eventually. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, no, I'm, I'm, my back feels good. Okay. Right. I can, I can keep painting for longer. Yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, I love hearing you talk about that. Um, yeah, that's okay. So you have been really strongly influenced, um, by like, uh, by Buddhism or by like Eckhart Tolle. I know my dad loves Eckhart Tolle too. And, um, like, I don't know, I can imagine you guys were having conversations about, about that, but like, yeah. So what are, what are some other books or other things that have really influenced you along the way? I would say, um, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. I just reread that again recently. And I read that periodically every other year or so. Okay. And it has different aspects to it. And it's, um, there are parts of that as well that I, I don't totally mm-hmm. embrace. You yeah. Know? I look at it as a symbolic thing. He's um, totally would be a little, maybe a little more far out than me, I guess, mm-hmm. for <laughs> however you'd phrase it. <laughs> so, uh, but that's, that's really like that teaching made a lot of sense to me with, he explains the ego and, and what we think of when we think of ourselves and, 
how we try to find our place in culture by comparing ourselves to other people mm-hmm. and uh, all the stuff that's just it's just kind of a disaster yeah know, basically yeah and so the mind the mind is conditioned through evolution to look forward to anticipate adversity yeah. in the future or we look back with regret or whatever in the past and and the practice to me of Buddhism is grounding yourself in the moment so that you're present and the future is a mental projection and the past is a mental projection and they're not real. I mean, they can influence us and, but dwelling and I spent, <laughs> spent a lot of time in both mm-hmm. places, the past yeah. and the future and was not present in my own life. Yeah. And, uh, I, it came to a point where I just, I had to make some different choices and, and so that, that type of um, understanding has really helped me. And that's, then I, it's like, oh, he's, this is what Buddhism is. You know, I'm, I'll say secular Buddhism. Mm. And uh, it's not um, something that's my path. I'm not overly interested in traditional Buddhist ideas of reincarnation, rebirth, mm-hmm. uh, karma, you know, just some of the more metaphysical aspects of it don't interest me as much as the practicality of it. And so books that have helped me, uh, Pema Chodron has been a big influence oh, she's... on me. She's a Buddhist nun. Yeah. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh is mm-hmm. really good. Yep. I think your dad is into him. He's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Mm-hmm. Um, the Power of Myth we talked about. Yep. Uh, Alan Watts is a oh. Zen philosopher that I've been really interested in over the years. I have not heard of him. Okay, he's a Zen philosopher. Okay, cool. Alan Watts, oh man, if if you've never heard of him, yeah, um, he, he's on YouTube. There's he had, I mean, there's a book on Audible. It's like 12 hours of his lectures from the 60s. He's, oh wow, he's passed, but he was he was kind of one of the main pioneers that brought Zen to the West, and he was kind of a hippie. Um, I don't know people looked at. He was like a hippie teacher, mm-hmm. kind of at the time of the countercultural movement. Explain, you know, what he's like. This is basically what Hinduism is. He's a British genius, you know. Yeah. You can't, trying to change your thing, you know, <laughs> trying to change your mind with your own thoughts is like looking into your own eyeball or trying to, <laughs> trying to bite your own teeth. It can't be done. It's like pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. <laughs> the mind, and just like, kind of like these puzzles. He's, yeah. Like boggles your mind. Huh. And he has a Christian background, so I grew up in a very evangelical scene, so I kind of identify with people that have uh, Christian backgrounds and all yeah. that. Okay, so yeah, that can that can reach you in, in a way that, uh, yeah, interesting, okay, because I'm finding myself thinking, Jason, as I'm listening to you, it's like, um, yeah, when did all of this, you know, Pema Chodron, who I think I, I really enjoyed her things, like, but just even like... Um, looking for something different because you said you were kind of caught in the past and the future there for a while and then you're like you kind of if you know I might be phrasing this differently we're like um, realize maybe you I think you said something along the lines of knowing that you need to do something different Um, yes yeah like was that can you tell me a little bit about that and is that is that how you started to kind of venture into Buddhism and and you know Zen philosophy and that type of thing and and started to explore these other pieces because what you were doing was just not working for you anymore? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's you said it well. Uh, well, I was down in your dad's basement. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just I was um, I moved to Chicago and I was playing music and drinking very heavily mm. and just good old fashioned substance abuse issues. Is, yeah. And it got to the point to where I just felt like um, I had to make some changes. You know, it's just, there's a point where it's like, I I can't go on like this, Mm -hmm. you know. And so in doing that, that's what I started meditating and and doing yoga. And I was still drinking a lot, but then I started seeing these patterns that were leading to my drinking. Oh. And it was just like, oh, my brain is doing this. It's producing these thoughts. And then alcohol is the remedy for it. Mm. And so then it, it got, to, it gets, it's kind of weird, but it, it gets to the point to where um, I, I could see how my mind was functioning. And I could see how it was basically creating issues to consume alcohol on some level. And so it became a a different type of energy. I mean, just the energy of addiction. Yeah. And it's, it's very wily. (laughs) It's very, it's very crafty. Yeah. And, uh, but you, and I think that alcohol is is great for most people. And I think it's, I like serving it. I like partying with people and stuff. But for me, it was a coping mechanism that I had developed over the years and it stopped being fun mm. and it started being like a gig. <laughs> it's mm. like, it's like, it feels like a, a job on some level or an obligation or, or whatever. Yeah. It just wasn't fun. And it was, uh, I was dependent upon it to, for social, you know, socializing and, and living life. Yeah. And before, you know, I'd, I'd smoked cigarettes for, uh, a long time. Yeah. I was sm- used to be a heavy smoker. Got it. And had no physical practice of any sort. So. Ah. so just like getting into just sitting, like meditating was painful. Uh, was Jack Cornfield was a, is a Buddhist mm-hmm. teacher that I listened to. Um, he has a, an intro to Buddhism that I was really interested, really hugely influenced by. He's like, your brain's just like a, a thought factory. It's like, it's, it's like pasta. I mean, it just produces thoughts. It's like some are big and some are small and good and bad. It's just like this machine. Yeah. And then when you just sit there, you're like, oh, this is true for me. I, I'm starting to see how my conditioning has influenced my thought patterns. Ah. And I don't have to do this. I don't have to take have uh, alcohol in my system to relax or enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah, so that's... That's interesting. And then it's... Your dad might remember a couple of a couple of episodes. <laughs> 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 the, the substance abuse era. Oh my goodness! But he was he was very kind to me. Very <laughs> so it sounds. This is interesting because it's like you're, you're meditating, which is kind of helping you become aware of the thoughts and inside. You know, the thoughts that you have, and um, at, at the same time, then you're also, you know, almost like. I don't know if alcohol was like doing numbing of things for you at all, if you were using it for that or just to be comfortable in different situations and being able to socialize. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that you had both of those 
that you're able to see that through meditation. Like that's what kind of helped you become aware of the thoughts that were leading you to. And you, you said, I think at one point, like you were creating, almost like creating thoughts in order to like feel like it was okay to drink more kind of a thing. Did I understand yeah. that right? That was so interesting. Yeah. And you just became aware oh, of that. Talk about it. It's, it's, it's insanity. <laughs> it's like, oh my, it's like, it's, you, you start to see that and it's, it's insane. Yeah. Like, oh, this is, I'm doing this to myself. Right. And so it's the meditation, very, very enlightening. yeah. And the meditation helped you kind of break through some of the, like become aware of the thought patterns and begin to release them. Is that what you experienced or what was your experience? Um, awareness is the yeah. main thing. It's not really pushing away any thoughts or trying to bury mm -hmm. them. It's just becoming cognizant of what's happening. Yeah. It's like, oh, this, and it's not, in Buddhism, there's not really a sin per se. It's, there's unskillful ways of living. And there's uh, skillful ways. Yeah. So it's not, as, so in Christianity, you know, it's like, it's bad, like that you your thought patterns can be bad. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, Jesus supposedly said that if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed sin within your heart. Mm -hmm. So that, that to me is not true. And I think it's harmful to hear that when you're a kid. Yeah, and and you grew up in a, you said, I think, um, did you say evangelical home? Or am I, am I throwing that in there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so you had that experience and um, and then this totally other experience. Like that had, had that's those are just those are just two different worlds I imagine like um, <laughs> yeah you know like how did that had to be um, like breaking of, of thought patterns and just becoming aware of those like that had to be like a lot of discovery for you I would just imagine like what what did you learn about yourself through that whole process was I mean and was there a connection between you know the way you're raised in the church and and um, letting go or becoming aware of um, some things that maybe were not serving you. Was there any connection between those how, two? How long is this? <laughs> I know. I just looked at the time. Sorry. <laughs> we might. We might need a. We might need a four-day block. Okay. I might need to cancel all my appointments here. <laughs> um, I'll try to keep it concise. Yeah. We need to do a separate religious podcast. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether to religion. dive into that or not, but yeah, was, I'm now I'm kind of just curious of what your journey was with it. Uh. From uh, well, I've, I was never technically a Christian. I haven't been baptized and okay. didn't really embrace the faith. But um, I was brought. I went to a Christian school as a kid, and so okay. I think that at a certain point you're hardwired by adults to believe a certain thing. And I think even if you don't consciously agree with it, it's in your DNA. Mm -hmm. It's in your your wiring. So you may not agree with and things but until you unpack it and question it it's still there yeah so I just I had a lot of you know when you're 20 you're in your 20s traveling the country partying and playing rock shows it's like who cares I mean I didn't really spirituality and the meaning of life or whatever it's like yeah <laughs> the, the meaning of life was I'm I'm on stage in Austin yeah. Texas or whatever like that was it was just a different it's a different time in your life right so um but, um, yeah, just, I mean, basically understanding what, what you've been taught and what to hold on to mm -hmm. and what does not serve you, mm -hmm. what you can jettison from your mind. 
Yeah. Your consciousness, you have to actively do that. And mm-hmm. it's, I think it takes a lot of effort. And yeah. until you really, if, if you want to really understand yourself or for, I guess I'll speak for myself, mm-hmm. for me, um, it's just looking at some of the teachings and then studying it. It's like, how was, how did the Bible come to be? Uh, who wrote it? When was it written? Jesus spoke in Aramaic and Aramaic, you know, and then it was written down in Greek mm-hmm. and then the Greek was translated into, you know, from there, that was like, uh, King James from Greek that was spoken in Aramaic and then written down 80 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Just little things like that that I had no clue of growing up right. uh, have really helped me to understand stand in, a, in a cultural context and just how human beings, what resonates with human beings, like studying Carl Jung and understanding some of those ideas of the, how the psyche is developed. You know, we have our shadow sides, we, mm-hmm. have, we have different sides to our, our personalities, mm-hmm. embracing the wholeness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. yoga is yoking union so you're you're trying to become a whole mm-hmm. and in that process you are exhaling your sense of your own identity and your own ego mm. and so ideally in a practice you know in yoga in meditation you are you become still yeah. And you're not the, the small you that needs all this stuff that you think you need. And then you come, then you come back to your normal. Yeah. Like, oh, I kind of do need those new yeah. earbuds or whatever, whatever <laughs> materialistic craving yeah. we have. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so like that, to me, just like studying the history of Christianity helps me to understand it, helps me to release aspects of it that Mm. don't make sense to me and it also kind of helps to define myself like what what do I not believe about this or what what do I what what do I believe is true and what what do I think Jesus is trying to say Mm -hmm. what's what's Buddha trying to say Mm -hmm. what uh, are they both saying Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a book called Living Buddha Living Christ and he compares the teachings and about Jesus and Buddha and what they have in common. And to me, you know, Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that Jesus understood interconnection. He understood that, that we are interconnected. And Buddha says, you know, like, uh, look at your brother, you know, see yourself and your brother Mm -hmm. and him. Can you hurt? What harm can you do? You know, he who seeks harm, he who seeks happiness by harming those who seek happiness will never find happiness. Mm. So there's just these intense parallels, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of these teachings, so I like focus on that, and that's what Campbell does. Is he's like, let's look at what these comparative mythologies have in common, and why do they have this in common? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's because it's true, right? You know, when you hurt, when I hurt somebody else, I am hurting myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm hurting all of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And realizing that interconnection and like question, I, I love that though, because you, how you mentioned just questioning things is just being curious and exploring and questioning things. And like, you know, 
is what I what I've been taught is that real you know is that true and and like seeing like gathering information from these other religions or beliefs and starting to find out what is the actual messages that's coming through that's you know resonate with you and that seem to cross all all those different boundaries between religions and um, it seems like you're just trying to you're you're crafting your a, a different um, something that resonates with you more so than what you've what you've just been told to be true and and questioning things am i just is that would that would you agree with that or am i yeah <laughs> putting words in your mouth <laughs> okay good a great summation yeah no, it's not, yeah huh. yeah i think you just have i mean without without questioning stuff or researching things you know you're just kind of on autopilot mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. a certain degree yeah and that's maybe fine <laughs> right right I mean, some people are like you know the spiritual path is this one teacher he's like spiritual path he's like it's just it's better just to not fool with it yeah <laughs> you're just like why not like if you're happy and going yeah. through life and whatever it's just like why do you want to sit in stillness and see how your brain works or i mean i don't know it's maybe it's just kind of like it's up to the individual yeah you know? right and i think what i think usually when when people are um, exploring these things is when there's been something that's happened right in their life, like a breakdown or a breakup of some sort. And we're like, okay, I can't like what you, what you experience, like I can't keep doing things the way I'm doing things. And let me, let me start to question, like, let me look at this. Let me kind of step out outside of this and look at the picture here and see, um, yeah, what role am I playing in this? And you know, how am I like, what, what can I do to change it? So, and that's when we start to look for change, you know? I think that a, a lot of it has to, you have to have some form of suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, on some level, you have to really suffer, you know, and to to break through it. Yeah. To, or to at least have something that's like, I, this is, if, if you're totally comfortable and don't have any issues, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it doesn't push you to, to expand yourself. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing that, Jason. I do want to ask you like how, so like that, like, um, you know, suffering or, you know, that growth aspect, like how has that, how has that informed your art? How has that like, um, has that changed your creativity, you know, or your, has that shifted things for you as an artist? Um, I think that there's a myth when you're younger that like suffering or mm. some type of emotional turbulence yeah. is positive and that it somehow helps your art. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of tied in with me. It's tied into substance abuse mm. and it's, it's sort of like this, uh, and if you get really far out on the, you know, whatever you're doing yeah. in a negative way, it's sort of, is glorified. Yeah. But it ultimately, Pema Chodron says that we seek strength in things that weaken us. And that was just like, mm. that cracked me open in a way. Yeah. It's like, but there's some, there's so much um, glorification of, of intoxicants on, on or alcohol or, or whatever. It's yeah. like, Oh, I'm this, I'm this, you know, reckless artist. And, yeah. and I've found that like exercise and, you know, I'm not advocating sobriety by any stretch, 
but I would say that like like I me mean, not being hungover, you can paint a lot better. Yeah. You know, it's like the artwork is just better. Yeah. So it's just physically, I I think that I undervalued physicality and physical, just basically good taking care of yourself and all that. Mm-hmm. I I didn't value that until recently. Ah. Now it's like like you you understand this stuff way more than I do. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I started lifting weights and doing cardio, uh, and it's been like a month. Oh, and that's awesome. A huge difference. Oh. Night, night and day. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. No, you know, I think that's so true. It's like in terms of, and I think artists in general, like there's this, you know, like, thing that we've stamped people with like starving, starving artists or tortured artists or whatnot. And I've seen more and more people coming out who are like, you know, that's, it's, it's uh, kind of, not that it ruins the, you know, well, it, it, it sets up precedence that's not necessarily have to be true. Like you can be a happy person right. creating art. And like, it's an archetype. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, it's just not really fair in, in so many ways. And yeah, I am um, speaking of that jazz musician neighbor. Like I hear him multiple times a day now jumping rope and like when Vines and mm-hmm. I'm doing push. It's like, how do you sustain like the effort it takes to, to you know, you're you're working in a physical way all the time. So it's like you have to have that strength and that uh, stamina to continue to do that. So I love that you've embraced, you know, working out more and um, like I can only see that positively impacting, you know, you know, oh, just yeah. your life then, in general. So that's great. It's like, how do you, it's, it's like, well, what do you find time to do this? Yeah. And if I go, if I do like 75 minutes of yoga and then an hour at the gym, yeah. I sleep two hours less. Yeah, and I can't sleep past seven o'clock. I usually sometimes. I mean, it's almost like a problem. I mean, I'll wake up at five in the morning and be totally wide awake. Yeah, and so you just like your your sleep. I mean, I just don't require as much sleep anymore. Ah, uh, at this point, I don't know. Maybe I'll adjust. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll even out. But right, right. Right now, it's like. Bing. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. And um, do you have any? So I know you are. We even talk about your street art. Um, if you call it like you have a lot of murals out there um are you like what are you working on now or what what are where are some of your murals that we could see um out and about i know it's on your website but um would you mind sharing like locations that people could even just see your your art out in the streets sure if you're on california avenue um and you're at the boiler room which is milwaukee in california there's a giant octopus with a black background cool holding holding some cans <laughs> from California and, and at the boiler room okay. um, and then if you go a block north to California and Fullerton I did a mural for the shed aquarium oh yeah and that's on the spilt milk bar that's on the northeast side um, I did all of the dark matter coffee shops if cool. you're at a, at a dark matter the metal shop is downtown that's probably the biggest that's definitely the biggest shop that's at uh, Jefferson and Jackson downtown and then Osmium is on Belmont yep and yeah. I did not do the, the Star Lounge I did not paint Star okay lounge, but I did the other shops uh, electric mud is a pretty new mural that's on Western and Armitage at the new dark matter electric mud oh cool it's it's Cortland and Western 
and my studio, you can see the outside of that, Cortez in California, and then Jeff Zimmerman did the back half, like on the white with the big faces. He's an awesome mural painter that's in town. Cool. He's been doing some cool stuff as well. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be sure to share like your website and uh, where everyone can find more about your art um, in the show notes here. But and that's so cool. Like, and and maybe I'll t- try to include some uh, some pictures too in the in the website so people can kind of click on those and get to your to, to your site. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, are you are you working you on anything what? new at the moment? Like you you. Oh no, go ahead. You were about to say something, Jason. I, oh, I was. I just I wanted to say um, what I'm doing a lot of is music for yoga classes. Oh. That's kind of my, I've been in the recording studio. I have some new music. And I also, um, I create live ambient sounds. Oh. And I, I vibe off of the teachers. So we sync up. I have a synthesizer and percussion. I play with other other drummers. Uh, Quinn Kearney is the owner of Yoga View. Oh, yeah. Um, Elston. Yeah. Uh, 2211 North Elston. He plays with me. Uh, Charlie Coltac is this guy who plays electronic kit. So we, we do this super funky beat-driven classes once a month at Yoga View. Oh, cool. And um, that's really, really fun. And then I do I play the lab studio uh, in West Loop. Oh. And then I play at Midtown Athletic Club once a month. Oh, get out. So you've got with, a lot going on with that then. That's Yeah. Ah. It's like been a main kind of a – it's been a, a burgeoning uh, venue Interesting. Uh, for me. So I'm like, practicing a lot of percussion and then a lot of le- electronic music, and I do a lot of singing, so I stack my voice so it sounds like a choir, and then I'll put a beat underneath that. So it's kind of bringing in like choral aspects and African percussion and funk and all this stuff, and I'm doing a, an ecstatic dance party in Boys Town what? in August. Okay, that's just a great and, name, yeah. ecstatic. Uh, wait, ecstatic dance party? Is that what you said? Uh huh. Oh wow. Okay, that's in Boys Town. Those are. Uh, it's at the Unitarian Church. Oh, August. okay. It's like that. It's it's kind of a. Um, you know, I haven't been to one. I don't not you know, but it's it's like a non-bar type place where people can go and dance. And, oh, cool. Uh, and you, uh, you know, Pema Children's Works. So I, I did this thing called Ambient Pema, and I did it a few times at the Shambhala Center downtown. Okay. Where she's, it's like part of her lineage. And so we would go into the shrine room, and I would play uh, ambient songs, and then it, I would just play her talks. Uh, and oh, like wow. Write, write soundtracks that people would sit and meditate, listen to her, her talk, and then I would kind of create a, a little soundtrack to go along with that. Oh, wow. So we're interested in that type of thing. Yeah. So this is a growing kind of piece of like, like, uh, create your creative outlet, I guess, or, uh, uh-huh. wow. Very Playing cool. the Logan square farmer's market. Oh, really? <laughs> Got some of those gigs. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, do you do that regularly or is that like, would you be there this weekend or like, or in the upcoming weekends or just whenever um, it kind of works out? Th- they uh, are figuring out the schedule. Got it. Last okay. season, I think I played like four times last season. Oh, very cool. All right, sweet. So I'll I'll make sure I include that. That's that. Yeah, that's so you got you got the visual arts, you got the the ambient 
sounds, especially with yoga, that's really, that's really neat. I'm sure people, I'm, I bet people are loving that. Like, yeah, what's been the response to that? Um, it's, it's pretty good. You know, I, um, I have a lot of pre-recorded stuff that I play along with mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I, I sync the Nord. So it's like when we breathe in, uh... so I mimic the exhalations and inhalations Oh wow! and it, it gets people into the body. And then a lot of the stuff is very repetitive. Yeah. And so it, it starts sounding different and then we get some, throw some tribal drums in and get these flows going and it's, it really creates something that, that, uh, it's like the beat and there's something Mm -hmm. that it resonates with with certain people really deeply. Right. It's like the music and just like people, people getting out of their head even more and like just feeling the music even inside their body and then the movement and, ah, that's really neat. That's the goal. Yeah. It's like, it's like a rave without the drugs. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jason. I, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to be on the podcast. And it was so interesting to hear like the journey you've been on and how these these philosophers and Buddhism have really like impacted you and helped you kind of um, have a new perspective. And it sounds like even a new approach to your life. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that and uh, for giving us an inside look in, into your into your life. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason as much as I did. It was so interesting to hear how his meditation practice and yoga have almost become a gateway to his creativity. I love listening to him share his experience as an artist because I think we can be so quick to glamorize the life of an artist. So it was cool to hear him talk about the realities, that it can be tedious, but that it's really important to do the little things and just to keep taking steps forward. I think we can all take a little something away from that. I know I can personally. And it was interesting to hear him talk about resistance and how he deals with resistance by doing the work, which I thought was so good. Has anyone else out there read The War the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? I love that Jason mentioned this book because I think it's just an important reminder for all of us. I read it years ago, but my boyfriend actually gave me a copy um, as a Christmas gift this year. So I, I definitely plan to revisit it because I, once again, I think that's just an important reminder. Um, I also appreciate him sharing his experience with Buddhism and his exploration of other religions. As someone who was raised Catholic, I've also explored Buddhism and read a few of the books that Jason mentioned. After our conversation, I'm planning to revisit some of the books by Pema Chodron and check out The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell, which has been on my to-do list. One thing I believe to be true is that I believe there's a value in being curious. It's important to explore, to ask questions, and to be open. That's part of the fun for me doing this podcast. I get to have conversations and learn new things from everyone I talk to. What about you? What did you find yourself thinking about and reflecting on after listening to this episode? Please share on my website, MaureenRyan.co, or on my Instagram page, Maureen underscore Ryan underscore. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Becoming Aligned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Becoming Aligned and rate and review this podcast. I'm Maureen Ryan, and I hope you'll join us next time. Take care.